0: Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. Today's recording comes from Doug Duncan and Catherine Hwasrat's Facebook live stream series, Enlighten Up. In this talk, Doug and Catherine discuss the Buddhist common foundations, also known as the four thoughts that turn the mind towards practice. These are reflections that help us stay in contact with the urgency of continuing our spiritual practice. In the course of this talk, Doug and Catherine also explain what samsara is and explore the nature of the ego and how to put it in its proper place. In April, Planet Dharma will be running an insight retreat at Clear Sky Centre entitled Mastering the 16 Stages of Insight. The program will be led by Doug Duncan. Don't miss the chance to undertake this training with a true master of this practice. You can learn more about this retreat at planetdharma.com insight And now, here's today's recording.
1: Today, we're gonna talk about the common foundation. There are four of them, there are four common foundations. And they're not gonna make much sense without a bit of an intro, but we'll give you the four, and then we'll give you the intro to it. So there's the precious human birth.
2: Yes, there is cause and effect, or studying the laws of karma.
1: Mm -hmm. There's the unsatisfactoriness of samsara, That'll require some explanation.
2: And there's death and impermanence.
1: So that's four. In order to understand the unsatisfactoriness of samsara, the first thing we have to understand is that the ego has no will of its own. The ego is running on programming. It's a produced tool from the whole of the being. So if we use the idea of a metaphor of an iceberg being the entire of the being, then the ego is the bit that's above the water, which is about 10%. So what we think is the ego is running the store, it's actually working from messages and instructions and impulsions from the depth of the iceberg, which is the 90% below the water. The
2: depth of the being. The depth of the being. In other words.
1: Insofar as the ego is concerned with itself, it kind of works independently or tries to be independent of the totality of the being. And the totality of the being is what actually drives our decision and our choices. The ego Mm -hmm. merely carries them out
2: so the ego the top 10% doesn't really know that the other 90% is there would you say or doesn't care or... it
1: can sense it and it intuits it mm-hmm. and it's it comes through with things like unconscious things it comes out right. through a dream it comes out through Freudian uh, slips, Freudian slips uh, associations it comes out through feelings unusual behavior
2: be. in extreme circumstances
1: yeah it feels like there's got to be something more to life it comes out in altered states mm-hmm. And this is where the ego has its limitations. Now, we couldn't survive without the ego. We need the ego to survive, but it's a tool.
2: The ego's an operator, decision-maker, discerner.
1: Evaluator.
2: Evaluator.
1: So the problem with samsara is that from the point of view of the ego, life is all about the ego. And because it's ignoring the other 90%, or trying to, more or less, it is always in struggle. It's always feeling insecure, unsafe, ungrounded, alone, alone, all about me, anxiety, worry, depression, separate, right? The idea that money or jobs or careers or relationships are going to satisfy it also is an ego illusion,
2: inherently vulnerable because it feels alone and separate. Right.
1: So when we speak about the first common foundation, the unsatisfactoriness of samsara, this is what we're referring to. Maybe
2: we should say what samsara is.
1: Right. Samsara is the world in which the ego works. And functions. It's the world that we see and move through every day.
2: You could say maybe the empirical world. So the right. world that we see, the world that we perceive, the world that there's hard scientific evidence for. And when we talk about that, what we're not saying is that there's a lot more to the world or to existence than what we can perceive. There's other realms that we can't perceive with our senses and there's a lot going on that the waking mind can't grasp.
1: Right. So, the ego thinks its whole existence, the whole thing of life, is about itself. And so, it's driven by these functions of survival. So, the ego works on greed, hatred, and delusion to keep itself in place. And to ignore the depth, what we're calling the depth mind, that other 90%.
2: Why would you say the ego works with greed, hatred, and delusion to keep itself in place? Well, because
1: the ego needs to survive. Mm -hmm. The ego is always feeling threatened Mm -hmm. by the unseen 90%. -hmm. And also, the ego, by definition, is alone. The top of every iceberg is unique, so we're always alone inside our own egos. That's the nature of the beast. And because of that...
2: And that's lonely.
1: And, and it's isolating. That's right. So in order for the ego to f- ensure its strength or hold itself up, it, it uses greed for things, or anger to avoid what it doesn't like, or confusion in order to hide. And this circling mm. behavior and interaction with the world is called samsara.
2: Sometimes called the world of illusion.
1: The world of illusion. Hmm. So from the point of view of awakening the awakening really comes and is moved and pushes from the depth. It's the birthright of every human being. It is the source of our being underneath the ego. So this awakened mind which everybody's talked about forever
2: all the world's wisdom traditions is are trying to is this. trying
1: to break through the ego. It's trying to break through the surface and the ego is trying to keep it down because it sees it as a threat.
2: It keeps the ego quite busy and quite stressed to try to keep the rest of existence out, basically.
1: Yeah. So if your ego is really, really tight and you get feed or contact or some experience that touches into the depth, it can feel traumatic. It can feel very dangerous, scary. But the process of the path of awakening is to allow that depth mind to speak up to the ego and inform the ego. So then the ego gets its proper perspective as a tool of functioning rather than master of your fate. So the ego is really a servant and the depth is the master, whereas the ego thinks it's the master and the depth is something that's threatening or challenging.
2: Kind of reminds me of Sonora, my horse, wants to be boss Mm. and things don't work so well. She's bigger than I am, but Mm. things don't work so well when she's boss. Mm. So yeah, we have to put things in their proper perspective.
1: The reason samsara is considered unsatisfactory is because it just keeps going around and around and around on the same circulating agenda.
2: Conveyor belt sushi. Conveyor
1: belt sushi, yeah. Or it's a bit like having your car on ice where the wheels keep going around but you're not really moving anywhere. So this is what we mean when we say right. inside.
2: So for example, have you ever noticed when you really, really want something and that thing is gonna be different for different people, but you know, maybe you really want a partner or maybe you really want a new car or maybe you want nice trip or something. And then we get that thing and maybe it's amazing for a little while, but pretty soon we want the next amazing thing. And that's the cycle of samsara. There's just no satisfying it. It just keeps going. So that's the greed motif with the hatred motif someone is driving me crazy, I just can't bear to be around them, and oh, it's my good fortune, they got transferred to a different division of the company, I don't have to see them anymore, but oh my gosh, someone else shows up who drives me crazy, and so maybe it has something to do with me, but this is how samsara works, and this is how awakening works, is when we realize that it's me and I need to look inside myself, that's when the cycle of samsara, the cycle of the world of illusion, the cycle of suffering starts to slow down and we can alleviate that suffering. So that's a happy moment, a happy day, a happy process when we start looking inside rather than externally.
1: So now the ego has a job. The ego's job is to bring that depth mind into a form and uh, into an understanding that can be worked with. So the ego's job is to serve as the servant or the agent of the awakening mind's manifestation in the world. So on that basis, right? the ego is a very, very important tool. And the most important part of the tool of the ego is the ability to reflect back on ourselves. So our ability to see ourselves as separate from other people and also seeing our ability, probably the only species that knows it's gonna die, long, long, long before we are going to die. So when we speak about the other common foundation, the precious human birth, it's the understanding that it's, as far as we know, we're the only species capable of awakening because we're the only species that can point our finger, touch our nose and say me. That separation that the ego has or creates in a way is the ability to jump out of the water to look back at itself. And it's that ability to look back at the depth from the ego that creates the awakening possibility. The ego can now turn back into the depth of the mind and that depth of the mind can now inform the ego of what it's on about. And so that's the power of the awakening. Now the precious human birth is that We have 80 years on this planet before we pass out. So it's a very rare opportunity and a very urgent opportunity to be able to contact that awakened mind before we die. And that's why we say precious human birth.
2: The teachings say that it's only possible, as Doug Sensei is describing, it's only possible to spiritually awaken from a human incarnation. And when we think that there's 7 billion people on the planet, we believe that spiritual awakening is our birthright, however, Not everyone has access to the teachings. That's one of the things that we pray for and that we in our life generate merit to accumulate merit so that when we are reborn, we're born in a situation where we can have access to spiritual teachings. Because without that access, it's highly unlikely that we'll awaken. So imagine with seven billion people, how many other sentient beings there are that are not human. And that's animals is is the most obvious one, but there are also considered to be other maybe non-visible spirits who the texts say are also not able to awaken, neither are animals. It's a process. We enjoy working together with our animals to raise their consciousness. I believe that's definitely possible, but I don't believe that they'll awaken as long as they're animals. So we try to help them so that hopefully in their next lifetime they'll be born maybe as a chimpanzee and get closer to being human each time.
1: That's also a law of numbers. I mean, seven billion people, how many amoeba, how many insects, how many bacteria, how many cockroaches? The number game says that humanity is, in terms of living organisms, perhaps the smallest segment of the living spectrum. Mm. So again, it's precious because if it's also true that you can only awaken from the human platform, The chances of being born into the human realm are percentage-wise of births either from womb, egg, or moisture, are relatively small. So this is another reason why it's precious.
2: And this is why we are so keen on using this precious human birth to awaken as much as possible because we have this 80 years basically to do whatever we want or whatever we can with it. And and what we found is that the best thing to do, the optimal thing to do, the most beneficial thing to do that benefits, yes, ourselves, but also the maximum number of other beings possible is spiritual awakening. So that's why it's such a good idea. If you're watching this, you definitely have that capacity you have access to the teachings and you have the means to apply yourself to that end. And that's why we are so keen on it. And if you find something better to do, let us know because that's, I, I don't want to speak for you, but that's the only reason I'm doing this is because it's the best thing that I've found. And you can do anything. What do you do? I would say you go for a spiritual awakening to benefit all beings.
1: So this brings us to another point, which is, Fundamentally, if you don't believe in rebirth, then there's real no motivation to seek awakening because you get this one off, and you can just live the life of pleasure if you can maintain it or sustain it, and you can die, and that's the end of the game. But if you believe in rebirth, and the, the idea that something continues over, that the stream continues into another form, then you have to recognize, wow, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna go through all the same problems again and again and again. So the idea of rebirth is easily shown by the nature of your awakening consciousness, your ego consciousness, because the person, you, who showed up for this video today at the beginning is now no longer there. There's a new being there that wasn't there a few minutes ago. If you think about it in terms of a feeling, feelings are born, feelings last, and feelings pass away. Thoughts are born, thoughts last, thoughts pass away. Everything is passing away. Everything starts and and ends, but the stream continues on. So when we talk about rebirth, we're also saying the rebirth of the karmic forces, which is our next point. The karmic forces continue the stream moving in the way that it was before. So the acorn doesn't fall far from the oak. Therefore, it's gonna be another oak, and so on and so on. So this rebirth principle demonstrates the third common foundation, which is the cause and effect of karma.
2: So cause and effect, the laws of cause and effect, also known as the laws of karma. We believe that it won't be probably very long now before scientists discover that karma is real. (laughs) I find that kind of humorous. They've also discovered that meditation works. Amazing. Uh, People have known this for a long time already, but somehow scientists make it more real, and that's that samsara thing, like it's real to the samsaric world. But karma is a fascinating study, and it's very, very beneficial to study karma because when we just watch, everyone is reaping what we're sowing, and it takes a fair bit of observation. It's fairly simple, but it is also quite complex because we don't necessarily realize when we're doing something what the karmic repercussions are going to be. So it's quite fascinating to see, for example, unintended consequences arise that of course make sense afterwards. And it is a natural law just like entropy or gravity. It is, we like to say, that karma is inexorable. And so we want to not in a stressful kind of way, but in a mindful kind of way, pay attention to our karma and what kinds of seeds Mm. we are sowing.
1: Karma is the law of cause and effect. There's wholesome karma and there's unwholesome karma. So if, for instance, I have a table with a glass of water on it and I unconsciously move my arm across the table without seeing that glass, the karma is the action of the movement going to cause the glass to fall on the floor and break. That's the karma of the breaking the glass. The the reason for it is my unconsciousness, my lack of seeing, my ignorance, in relationship to seeing the glass. So the ego operates 90%, or if not totally, in terms of our unconscious part of the ego. Unconsciously, it just works on the forces moving us through actions and activities that have been built that we don't see. That's called ignorance. That's unwholesome karma. Wholesome karma is when you make a decision. You're going to make the decision to move the glass from the table onto the counter. So I consciously make that decision Mm. to move it. It's a wholesome decision. Mm. The reason it's wholesome is because it's not based in ignorance. It could also be based on wholesome karma. It could also be based in greed or anger. So when I'm angry or when I'm greedy, I'm also unconscious. I'm just working on unconscious forces. So when we talk about developing wholesome karma, We're saying, okay, I'm not going to just go with the programming. I'm going to consciously make an effort to be kind. I'm going to consciously make an effort to be generous. I'm going to consciously make an effort to be helpful. Then that's wholesome karma, and that creates its own stream. If I don't interrupt the unwholesome karma, it's going to run around and around and around in samsara. And if I build and develop the wholesome karma, then that's going to build a whole different kind of thing. I'll get more wholesome feedback. I'll get more kindness back. I'll get more generosity back. It's a lot.
2: And by wholesome, we mean that literally it's whole. We're paying attention to all of the different pieces of the whole. And so therefore, it has integrity to it. As opposed to unwholesome, where we're not mindful of the different components of the action. And, and therefore, the results we're also not mindful of. So it's just kind of bits flying everywhere. Uh, not whole, uh, therefore unwholesome. So, so no structural integrity to that as well.
1: So we talked about... Precious human birth, we talked about the unsatisfactoriness of samsara, and we talked about the law of cause and effect of karma. The last one is death and impermanence. The ego doesn't really like this idea. The ego (laughs) would like to think it's single, independent, (laughs) and lasting. (laughs) But we all know we're going to die, and we all know things are always constantly changing. Even that mountain out there is in the process of change.
2: We've all known we're going to die for quite a long time, Mm -hmm. and it's amazing how we can still remain in a state of denial about this.
1: Some philosopher who I can't remember said that if you don't live with the imminent appreciation of death, you don't actually live fully alive. So it's the recollection that we may die at any moment that really empowers us to live the moment we're in fully. Right. It's impermanent, it's passing through. Now you can't hang on to it. The ego tries to hang on to things, make things last. But the depth mind doesn't need to because the depth mind is in the ocean. The bottom part of that iceberg is one with the ocean it's in. So it doesn't need to hang on. The ego is gonna melt.
2: It's a good exercise. We suggest that you try it if you just think, and it's not in a morbid way, but in a catalyzing kind of way. If we think, oh, I, I may die tomorrow, then we're going to tell people dear to us that we love them. We're going to try new things because we don't know if we'll be able to postpone them and do them someday and then never get around to it. So it brings that kind of freshness and spontaneity to life and really helps us feel what is important to us and what we really care about and act from that place.
1: So while this is the common foundation, it then moves, one does this, one meditates on these four common foundations in order to get motivated to get at it. Also, After this, there becomes a path of the, called the Extraordinary Foundation, which is to deepen the understanding through particular exercises and practices that do that.
2: The four common foundations are also called the four thoughts that turn the mind. To practice. So it means the four, the four reflections that motivate us to get on with our spiritual practice and prioritize it in our lives. So when they talk about common foundations, foundations for the spiritual
1: life, Foundations for what the depth needs in order to be heard or foundations for what the ego must meet or face in order to start listening to the depth. We get it through dream. We get it through altered Mm -hmm. states. We get it through substances that change the dimensions of the mind to show us a bigger picture, but it's chaotic. There's no organized path. So it's a bit like going to Toronto from Vancouver and not, all you know is you're headed east. That's like dream and, and altered states and so on. But with the foundation practices and the pyramids that we just talked about and the extraordinary foundations, you now have a highway. And so you can go speedily and quickly and directly and relatively trouble-free. And efficiently
2: and you yeah. know you're gonna get there. Yeah.
1: You don't get lost in the mountains or lost in the forests and wander around. Or in the weeds. <laughs> right. Or in the mud and you don't die. <laughs> in the storm That's right. because if your path is strong by the way if you do die the, the karmic stream will pick you up in saskatchewan <laughs> say you died in saskatchewan the karmic stream will pick you up in saskatchewan and move you through to manitoba and ontario and maybe it takes a few lifetimes to get to Toronto, but it doesn't have to you could do it in a week
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode please rate and review dharma if you dare on apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. This spring, Doug and Catherine will be offering more modern and practical takes on classical Buddha Dharma in their online course, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. This will be one of the four online courses that Planet Dharma will host over the course of the year, along with various in-person retreats and public teachings. To learn more about these events, visit planetdharma.com slash 2020. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.